Welcome to the Breakthrough Advisor Podcast. In this podcast, we inspire advisors with ideas and pathways to break through barriers and build a thriving retirement income business. We will interview innovative technology developers, business leaders, and successful advisors, then help you organize and execute these ideas to move your business forward. Hello, my name is Jack Martin. I'm with Insuremark. I want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, we've got Lawrence Black from the Index Standard uh, coming to us to, to share some insights about what's going on with the uh, indices in the market and what's going on uh, in the index world per se that may be of interest to all of our, our listeners. So, Lawrence, welcome. Thank you very much, Jack. It's great to be here. It's absolutely great to be here. So um, catch the, the audience up a little bit on uh, who Lawrence Black is and who Index Standard is. Sure. Thanks. So I'm Lawrence Black. I'm the founder of the Index Standard. And the Index Standard is a company that decodes and demystifies indices. So there's now more than 3 million indices in the marketplace, and they're getting much more complex. We're seeing terms like mean variance optimization, risk control, artificial intelligence. So what we do is we help decode and demystify. And then the second main thing we do is we actually help project expected returns on indices. So a lot of people and a lot of carriers are backward looking. What we try and do is be forward looking and try and help people think about the future and help position their portfolios to get better returns. Awesome. Awesome. So um, uh, it seems like uh, indexes are playing more and more uh, prominent role in, in the world of annuities and, and life insurance. So what are you seeing from your side? I mean, the growth has been exponential, Jack. If you think just back to a few decades ago, you just had S&P, NASDAQ, and maybe the MCI EFA or emerging markets. Today, where we stand, we've got more than about 172 indices in the space. And I think, you know, you could look at this from two points of views. One point of view as an advisor, you could say, well, there's a lot of complexity. It's hard to understand what's going on. But I think the other view is you actually have a fantastic toolkit to really help your clients. So if you think about those four indices that I mentioned, those were stock-only indices and you know, just long only. Now you can find indices that are risk controlled. They, and those indices are designed to be stable and help you hit more singles. And then within that, you can get indices that give you exposure to dividends or tech or growth stocks or EFA or international or some multi-asset indices combine all this. So I think you really have as an advisor, a much bigger toolkit to help generate better returns for your clients and help them create more diversified portfolios. So I, I, I like that you use the word uh, decoded <laughs> because it, it does seem immensely complex uh, to be able to start, understand, as you said, the evolution, all the moving parts and so on. Uh, so, so talk a little bit about that. Sure. You know, Jack, I've spent most of my career developing and designing indices. I've spent about 15 years doing that in a 25-year career in, in banking. And my partner called Jay Watson has also spent um, about 10 years developing and designing indices as well. And he's got a PhD. And we have to dig. It takes us time to really go through and understand and decode these indices. And, and let me give you two stories recently from what we've been doing. First story is we saw a new index came out and it had about 350 pages of rules. So that really required us to dig in and to figure out what was going on. So that was 
just takes time and understanding a lot of sort of complex formula. Second story is we saw a new index being launched in the Ryler space. And what we really want to understand there are, are dividends included or not? So when you see the S&P in, in an index in any kind of annuity, typically no dividends are included. With this new index, it was not clear to us. We were looking at the brochure. We then had to go to the index creator and say, can we see the rules? So we got the rules. We took a look. There was no mention of a dividend. In fact, this index has a sub four other indices. So we then had to go to yet two other different index providers to, for these four indices to figure out if there were dividends. And then we had to ask them and we were able to figure out that there were no dividends. And that makes a difference. So we really want to focus on the details because in this example where we understood that there were no dividends, you know, that means you would expect the pricing to be and the participation rate on the S&P to be the same. So we wanted to help guide our clients. So we're digging in to decode and demystify these indices so that people can understand what they're... Point well taken. So um, you, you mentioned earlier that the uh, original basket of indices were primarily long and primarily stock. So today it's a little bit more of an asset allocation approach where they've got bonds and cash and real estate and stocks and so on, right? So um, is, is that the, the future direction? Is that where we're going? Yes. I, I think what we're going to see is more innovation. And ultimately, that innovation is good for the advisor because that helps you build a diversified portfolio. And, you know, I'll give you an idea of what we've seen recently just to help people think about that. We've seen two, in, two interesting types of indices recently. I would say we've seen a couple indices that have got long shorts. So what they do is they will go long a certain basket of stocks. They will short normally the S&P. So when you short something, you hope that the price goes down. But I very much expect that we're going to have volatile markets going forward, right? So that long short structure helps reduce the volatility and helps cuts off any big bad events for clients. So that kind of index can add stability to a portfolio. So that's you know another tool in your, in your toolkit if you're an advisor and worried about if equity markets are going to go down. Because right now, we all know that the Fed is going to raise rates. In fact, as of today, they've priced in nine rate, rate rises. So that means your bonds are going to go down. So where do you have to go? Well, you've got to go to equities. So if you're worried about the volatility of equities, this long short index can help you out. So that's one example. A second example, we've seen another index that is um, very diverse. It's got about access to 44, um, 44 asset classes. And it's very known as what is called a CTA. So that stands for commodity trading. Um, and it's very much a hedge fund style, but now you're able to access this index in an FIA. And also it goes long and short, it goes long a certain number of commodities. It may go short a certain number of commodities or index futures. And again, it provides you with that stability. And typically what a CTA is, is meant to do, it's meant to be the opposite to equity markets. So if you expect volatility in the equity markets or you expect equity markets to go down, this CTA-like index can really help you by potentially giving you some positive returns when everything else is going down. So whilst complex, 
these two types of indices can actually, as I said, add more tools to the advisor's toolkit to help generate consistent returns for their clients. Because when you're thinking about an FIA, even though it's capped at zero, it's floored at zero, sorry, you really want to try and get some returns every year because you want to benefit from compounding. So compounding is one of the, the, the most magical thing we have in finance. You can compound every year. You just, you're compounding on a bigger number every time and you're getting more money for your client. They're going to end up retiring better. So you just want to avoid that zero and get them 5% because then the next year you, you, that you're, on, you're building up on a base of 105 and so on. So it helps you get that magic of compounding. So we're kind of in an unprecedented territory here. The, the, the war situation, you talk about inflation, um, you know, knocking on double digits, 40-year high. You talk about nine uh, interest rate increases coming, what that means with respect to landing a recession. Um, that's not the way the world has looked for the last 20 years, right? Exactly. So uh, when you when you talk about tools in the toolkit, so how how do I make sense out of that? How do I how do I model that? Um, I know one of the themes, and and you may you may have something to say about you know the, that circumstance in itself. But one of the themes I know you've you've really harped on is this difference between backcasting and forecasting. So. Um, tell tell our listeners, uh, you know where where you where you're at, you know where your head's at with respect to where we are in terms of these these financial crises, and and then on the the backcasting forecasting. What do you think? Sure, it's a lot of great questions there, Jack. So so let me sort of break it down. Let's talk a little bit about war and inflation. Then we'll talk about how to think about the future. So I think what we're seeing is the confluence of, of two events. We've got war and inflation, which we haven't seen, and we haven't seen them together in a long time. So let's focus on the war in Ukraine first. I, I think what we've seen is the market went down and it's rebounded pretty quickly. And, and actually, you know, wars are not terrible for stocks. And historically, after six months, um, if you think about back to the Gulf War, Kuwait, stocks were actually up 20%. And then in Pearl Harbor, stocks were down about nine. So we've retraced. So actually, the whole reaction has been absolutely fine. Now, what I think people need to think about is there are going to be some profound changes. So, and that's going to change the environment you want to think about indices. So with regard to the war, what I think we've had in the last 40 years, as you mentioned, we've had stability, peace, globalization, and very low inflation. I think some of that is unfortunately over. What I see is now we're moving into a multipolar world where you used to have the US and maybe China, and, and maybe it's going to evolve into a, a sort of, of more than one large player. You could actually have Russia as another player creating a, multi, a multipolar world. And then India, right? Everyone sort of assumes that oh, India is English speaking. They're on the side of the West. India is kind of engaging with Russia right now to talk about joint banking systems. So you think about um, India and China, they didn't vote with the UN. So that's 3 billion people who did not vote to sanction Russia. So this is a change in the environment. Um, what happens if China and, the, and Russia we create a new payment system? They're going to sell each other oil. They're going to sell each other tech. So you could have a very much a different world order. So that's the sort of 
changing of the world order. And I think we're going to have this deglobalization, which is going to sort of feeds into the second topic of inflation. So around inflation, as you correctly point out, we haven't seen inflation this high for four decades. So you know, I think the sort of good news is we are seeing some signs of inflation moderating, right? We, what we saw at the, the COVID pandemic with the stimulus checks, people brought forward a lot of purchases. You went to Home Depot and you bought some new couches or a desk because you had to work from home and you bought a new car because you had the stimulus check. So I think people, and actually if you look at the sort of average goods and services purchases, it really jumped and that's going to come, come back and normalize. Secondly, secondhand car prices have caused a lot of some of the rise in inflation and secondhand car prices are coming down. But there's still a bit of inflation in the, in the system, right? Energy is up, even though it's coming down a little. So, you know, I think inflation will come down. However, I don't think we're going back to the 2% that we've been used to. I was looking at, at something yesterday, which uh, it, uh, there was a survey on US consumers and what their medium-term inflation expectations are, and that was 4%. So, you know, let's say it's somewhere around that number. Again, that puts a very different spin on your real returns that you need to earn. And also it puts a very different spin on interest rates. So as I said, um, the, the Fed right now is, is sort of priced in for nine rate rises. Now think about what that does on a tech stock. Let me give you a simple example. Let's say I have a tech stock and I'm expecting just $100 of earnings in five years' time. And my keep it simple, interest rate is zero. I discount that $100 at 0% to today's number. It's $100 of earnings. I can put a PE on that. If I take that same $100 in five years' time at 5% interest rates, I discount that back, that's $78 in today's money. So that really is a big difference. And it's probably why we've seen some of these unprofitable tech companies come down. So then sort of bringing that together, right, what we're seeing now is the future is going to be different, right? What, and let me just emphasize that. What worked in the last 10 years is probably not going to work in the next 10 years. So let me give you some sort of general observations, then I'll talk a little bit about how we think about our forecasting. So firstly, we know that tech stocks have had a great last 10 years, and you could argue Part of that was for two reasons. One, low interest rates, so valuations went up. And secondly, you know, if you want to be a little unkind to tech, you could say it was a regulatory arbitrage. Google and Facebook took your cheap data and leveraged that. Uber was a regulatory arbitrage against all the taxi existing taxi operations that cities would, would license. So they've made money, and now we're seeing a bit of people are aware of that. There's becoming to be a bit of a backlash. And then you think about, well, if we do have high inflation, different things work. And what you may see is, you know, maybe energy, maybe companies that have got pricing power, well-known brands um, that can raise prices because they've got strong brands, and Heinz Ketchup or Tiffany, they could raise their, 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 their prices. And then also, if with higher interest rates, that typically benefits financials. And I think also there's a more of a focus on fundamentals. So stocks that are actually producing profits today and throwing off dividends, those could do well. So maybe more defensive stocks are going to do well. 
And each of these um, couple of things that I've mentioned hasn't done well over the last 10 years. So that could really change. So my final point here is thinking about forecasting. What we do at the index standard, we actually go and aggregate um, about 30 capital market assumptions for the next 10 years from big asset managers and banks. And they've all been doing this for decades. It's been an established practice. They all produce research on what their expected returns are. And then what we do is we kind of average this out and we call this the wisdom of the crowd. So what does the wisdom of the crowd expect? And, and really, let me give you some numbers that just to point out some how different the, the, the future may be. The S&P, for the last couple of years, we saw average returns of about 13%. The market expects um, just 4%. But then I think if I look at IFA and emerging markets, they've really both struggled and had very tough last 10 years. But the market expects for IFA around about 5% returns. And for emerging markets, it could even be higher at 8 or 9 So there are other opportunities to generate returns. And also for fixed income, what we see is the average of all these asset managers, they expect just 2% on bonds, the Barclays ag aggregate is going to be the expected return is 2%. So that's, I think even, that's even after the rate increases? Well, well, there, you know, it's the net return over 10 years. So it's, you're not going to get very much. And what you could do now is because as, as, if, as rates rise, bond values go down. So that really could hurt you. And then you're going to get some coupons to offset that. But, you know, at 2%, with inflation, let's say average medium-term expectations of U.S. consumers at four, you're getting a real negative uh, minus two, and you're not your money is not maintaining per, uh, your 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 spending power. So things can change. So in in the material that you provide us, the reports and such, um, you you give us some guidance about uh, forecasting versus backcasting. So if an advisor is dealing with a pre-retirement, all right, so they're still uh, in an accumulation mode, but they're, you know, it's not a long window. So what's, what's their playbook look like if they're going to look at index products today? What should they be thinking? I think the first thing is, the good thing is you've got a great toolbox. There's a lot of choices out there. I'll make two sort of observations. I think number one is you want to remain diversified. As I said, you want to hit those singles to be able to compound continuously to get that, that person close to retirement, get them the highest possible returns. And, you know, the second point is it's a very, it's a difficult environment, right? Anyone who thinks they can give you any uh, advice with certainty, well, that's magic. But it, it, because of we're going through so many macro changes. So I think you really want to build a diversified portfolio, number one. And number two, you want to include lots of different kinds of exposures. So I would think you want to maybe throw in some defensive exposures, maybe some dividends or low beta kind of stocks. Number one. Number two is value is a, is a factor that hasn't done very well. And in what we see is in some of the market projections that value may do a little better. So any value orientated product might be something worth considering. And then finally, um, as you know, you may have guessed from my accent, uh, I have an American passport, but I'm, I wasn't born in this country. And you know, a lot of a lot of people have 
um, really love the S&P and it's a great index, but I would just encourage people to add a bit of diversification to that. So why not throw in a bit of Asia, a bit of LATAM, or a little bit of emerging markets, a little bit of IFA? The These markets have really had a terrible last 10 years. We've seen the US has been on top, but that's not always the case. The US um, economy is wonderful and we're clearly one of the winners, but you don't win all the time. So you maybe want to throw in a little bit of um, global exposure to help get some diversification into portfolio. Excellent. So when, when you're talking about diversification, we, we spoke earlier about these new types of indices that offer up multiple asset classes and uh, multiple strategies, long, short, et cetera. So um, is that what you're talking about? Or are you saying you, you work with Schiller, he does the CAPE index, you should have some CAPE index strategy, you should have some um, Barclays index strategies, you should you know diversify across different types of strategy approaches. Is that what you're saying? Yes, I, exactly. And, and I think there's two particular ways to, to do that, Jack. So number one is, I would say, a lot of the major banks have all got very strong multi-asset indices. In essence, all these indices use a technique called mean variance optimization, which is a fancy way of just getting you the best allocation across a very diverse range of assets. So if you're not sure how to allocate and which, how much percentage to put to each region or country, all these indices are actually pretty strong. This mean variance optimization um, technique was actually invented by Harry Markowitz. He won a Nobel Prize for it. It's, it's a very solid technique. And, and all these providers, it's actually, these indices are pretty good. You know, nothing can go majorly wrong because they're so diverse. So you should be able to get some, eke out some returns in a worst case scenario and in the best case scenario, you'll get some really nice returns. So I think that is, those are really great indices that all the major banks have, number one. The other way to do it is you could sort of do it yourself and allocate to what you like. So you could say, I'm going to give 25% to the US, you know, maybe 15% to Europe and Asia. You could throw in a little bit of real estate, throw in a little bit of commodities. Bond yields right now, they're rising. And if they go to 3% on the 10-year, 4%, why wouldn't you throw in a little bit of that? Right. So you want to keep that diverse, you want to keep that diversification. And you can either, in my second example, do it yourself or go back to what the, the, the banks who've got this autopilot and doing it for you. So we, we were talking earlier about the uh, a, a client persona, you know, pre retiree, still accumulation, et cetera. So what if I'm an advisor and I've, I've got a client who's at that moment where they're going to flip from accumulation to decumulation? So one of the biggest risks we know in, in that period is sequence of returns, right? So exactly. most of these indices are, are in a, an, an annuity wrapper where there's downside protection. But by the same token, um, as I understand it, there can be a, you know sufficient volatility within an index that it could cause you to have little or no return for a period or sustained period of time. So what would you suggest from a diversification or from a targeting perspective, uh, what would you suggest an advisor should be looking at for that kind of a client, you know, who's ready to start drawing that income stream and is concerned about sequence of returns risk? What kinds of things should they be thinking about? I mean, that, that's a, a, you've hit 
the nail on the head there. And I think taking one step back, this is the great thing about the annuity structure, right? Because in the past, you would have done some kind of bond ladder or put your client into bonds. But right now, as we know, with rates rising, you could actually get, unfortunately, you may get some capital losses on that. So I think the annuity structure, number one, makes sense. And there, within that, I, I think you know, for someone who is at that stage, you want to be more cautious. So there I like these risk control indices. I know some people are still going to get in grips to them and people love the S&P. And whilst it's a great index, it's very volatile. It's like a, it's like a sports car with a big engine as you can go up and down. And we've seen it's generally for the last 10 years done, had a great job, but it can be quite risky. Whereas the risk control mechanism what it's designed to do is really stabilize and cushion. It's trying to hit you those singles. So with the risk control index that's got a risk control of about, let's say, 5%, that's about a third of the S&P. So you can imagine you're getting a sort of like an SUV set of a sports car, and it's a mini SUV that's got about a third of the engine size, and it's probably just going to hit you those consistent singles. On that kind of index, you may get 3 4 5% if you're lucky, 6% returns. But let's say you can get four. If you can consistently do that with your client, that helps um, avoid the sequence of losses, helps them avoid getting any zeros and can compound their money whilst they begin to uh, withdraw. Lawrence, as always, this has been a great session. Thank you very much. It, I've, I've learned a lot uh, in the last few minutes. I'm sure our listeners have. Uh, for all you folks who are listening uh, here at Insuremark, we're big fans of the work that Lawrence and his team does. In fact, uh, we make available to our advisors his uh, specific index reports, which... Uh, as he said, decode what's going on with these indices. And we also it also offers up some data about how they've performed in the past, what you can expect to see from them in the future from a forecasting, from you know the wisdom of the street, as he likes to say. So um, we make all those tools available to you. So on behalf of Insuremark and uh, the Breakthrough Advisor podcast, I want to thank you, Lawrence. Uh, I want to thank all of our listeners, and we look forward to speaking to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Breakthrough Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Insuremark. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. 